Support comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies. Held on Fridays in May, each film touches upon Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Goya or the Hard Way to Enlightenment and the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie at nortonsimon.org. Support comes from Pasadena Playhouse, presenting Jelly's Last Jam. Follow Jelly Roll Morton, the self-proclaimed inventor of jazz, in this ambitious musical masterpiece that's sure to blow the roof off the theater. Performances begin May 29th. Tickets at PasadenaPlayhouse.org. It's Film Week on LAS 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Great to have you with us. And I'm joined this week by critics Peter Rayner of the Christian Science Monitor, Manuel Betancourt of Film Quarterly, where he's contributing editor, and Charles Solomon of Animation Scoop and Animation Magazine. First up is Blue Beetle, the action-adventure film directed by Angel Manuel Soto, written by Gareth Dunnett Alcocer. Uh, Manuel, what did you think of Blue Beetle? I think this is... I had an enjoyable time with this. So uh, Blue Beetle, for those like myself who are not really familiar with uh, this DC superhero, uh, in this iteration, it, we're following Jaime Reyes, not Jamie Reyes, um, who is coming back to Palmera City after doing pre-law at Gotham. And he finds himself chosen or sort of taken over by this symbiotic alien host uh, from a scarab that he finds. And this turns him into the titular Blue Beetle and allow and you know he looks kind of like a goofy the tick kind of uh, superhero because <laughs> uh, he's blue and he's a beetle uh, and he's set to sort of defeat this villainous foe who's a gentrifier who's an arms dealer who's an imperialist uh, the movie wears its politics very much on its on its sleeve uh, it's unapologetically uh, Mexican American and Latino it's clear that you know. If you've seen Soto's work, you can tell that this is a Puerto Rican filmmaker who really wanted to sort of showcase all and everything Latino. There are Chapulín Colorado references. There are Mariela del Barrio references. So for those of us who grew up with all of those things, it was kind of like lovely to see them uh, in what is otherwise a kind of like boilerplate, very sort of familiar kind of uh, origin story territory. Um, but... I, I had a I had a fun time and I can't begrudge any movie that gives Adriana Barraza, the great Mexican actress, sort of a lot of cheesy lines to deliver. Blue Beetle, the film we're talking about. Peter, what did you think? Uh, yeah, pretty much the same. Uh, you know, on the one hand, uh, I really do appreciate the fact that, um, you know, there are all of these uh, Latino elements in the movie, which is very refreshing, particularly for this kind of film. Um, and Adriana Barraza is just really incredibly funny and great. Uh, you know, she becomes this whole other character in the film, you know, who's like, you know, mowing down the imperialists, you know, she's very funny. Um, uh, but, but the, the, the sort of DC, uh, aspects to it are pretty cheesy. Uh, and, you know, so for me, that's kind of a bifurcated experience with this movie. I, I sort of appreciated it from a you know La Familia level, but but on a uh, any kind of um, uh, a comic book uh, action adventure special effects level, I thought it was sort of you know subpar. Uh, so hopefully, I mean, this is obviously the origin story for a franchise, mm-hmm. 
and they'll uh, get their act together a bit more on the other end as well. And Warner's has so struggled with the DC franchise, while Marvel, of course, has, has soared. Uh, Manuel, do you agree about the thoughts of this superhero? You a little more kindly to that. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those, like, it's it's trying to do it something. All I could think of is, like, it's really familiar because it almost feels like Iron Man meets Spider-Man meets Ant-Man in a way. Like, sort of, I've seen these beats before, and it wasn't really giving me a lot of, the, the more interesting parts were the fact that we have this family fighting, we have Barraza's character, and the cultural specificity. The cultural specificity. Um, but I think when you pull back, uh, yeah, I wanted a little bit more, more inventiveness, more originality. The action sequences feel not particularly inspired. We're talking about Blue Beetle. It's rated PG 13. The film is in wide release. Uh, the adventure comedy Strays uh, is directed by Josh Greenbaum, and it features Will Ferrell and Jamie Foxx. Dan Perot is the writer. Uh, Peter, first of all, describe to us how how Strays works. Uh, this is sort of animated. Well, it's the it's um, I guess you could define it as sort of animated. It's the they use real dogs, uh, you know, who who do tricks and stunts. You know, they've been trained to to do that. But their mouths move, obviously, when they speak, uh, you know, the King's English It's not, or, or something to that effect. <laughs> uh, that part is obviously animated. Um, there are a few humans that show up in the film, uh, you know, people. Uh, one very funny surprise, which I won't give away. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's one very brief animated, animated scene in it. Um, but, but basically, it's just a lot of trained dogs with movable mouths. And and uh, is it funny? I thought it was very funny. I you know I looked on Rotten Tomatoes this morning at fifty seven percent. You know, if, after this review, it will be sixty one percent. There you go. You know? <laughs> uh, I, I it's it's very funny. It I mean it's uneven and it it should be sharper than it is. Uh, but it's it's sort of like the 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 dog movie uh, equivalent of Bad Santa. You know, oh, okay. I mean, it's, yeah. it's very scatological, very obscene, very, uh, uh, you know, off color, all of those things. But it's very funny. Um, and it's uh, Reggie, who's a, um, a border terrier voiced by Will Ferrell, uh, is enamored with his master, um, who is a, a real a crumb bum, uh, played by Will Fort. Who wants nothing but to get rid of of of, uh, of Reggie and keeps driving him miles and hours away, and but he keeps coming back, and finally he's picked up by a team of stray dogs, uh, the lead of which is a uh, a Boston Terrier played by Jamie Fox, to sort of learn the ways of the street, and it's very funny. You know, they they go into this abandoned house and there's a an old mattress there, and they start you know. Humping the mattress, can I say? Yeah, yes. you can say that. Uh, you know, I mean, and and then at one point he's he's humping a, uh, a like a Glockenspiel. It, it's it's very strange. It, the whole movie, <laughs> that is you know, and they say you know if if <laughs> and you dangerous, you know, it's, it's it's like if you break it, you own it. So here's like if you pawn it, you own it. You know, I mean, it's 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 it keep saying, oh God, they're really going to do that, and they do, and it's very funny. There's a scene where they all uh, Isla Fisher is is one of the uh, dogs in the pack, and uh, you know, they all eat, they come upon this um, uh, mushroom uh, 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 colony in, in, in a forest and they all get high on magic mushrooms. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, 
It's a real goof, but I thought it was a, a good bonkers fun time. We're talking about the film Strays uh, with the voices of Will Ferrell and Jamie Foxx, Josh Greenbaum, the director, Dan Perot, the screenwriter. It's rated R in white release. Uh, the Armenian animated documentary Aurora's Sunrise is directed by Ina Sakayan. Uh, Charles, what did you think? Well, this won the Audience Award at Animationist Film last year. Uh, it's an interesting film. Like Flea, it uses uh, inexpensive animation, some of it clearly copied from live action, to fill in gaps where they don't have visuals. And the uh, woman in question, uh, Aurora Mar- uh, Gonyan, sorry, uh, survived the Armenian genocide. It's mm. her adventures about how that happened. She came to America appeared in silent movies, but was also ruthlessly exploited by this American couple who used her as sort of a, uh, you know, this here's a survivor and, and let's collect money. And when she was finally so exhausted by that schedule, uh, she got sent to a convent and they hired an actress to impersonate her on this same set of tours. Um, the animation is adequate for what they're using it for. I don't think it's as well made a film as Flea. The problem is there are chunks of two interviews with Aurora when she was a rather old woman, and she so, has just so much personality and is so interesting when she's talking that you wish they had just taken all of this footage and focused the film more on that because it's by far the strongest element in it. But for, I mean, I learned a lot about the Armenian genocide from this that you know, I had read about, but it's presented, you know, very strongly in a first-person narrative. So it's an interesting film, but not, again, it has its flaws. We're talking about Aurora's Sunrise Manuel. Yeah, I thought, I think the other thing that it's doing is, uh, you know, Aurora starred in the silent 1919 epic called Auction of Souls, which was based on her own story. So she played herself in the silent epic, which in the 1920s was then eventually basically disappeared and destroyed. And it's sort of unclear or it's sort of been suggested that it was because of the new U.S.-Turkish relationship that, you know, any... um, any document or chronicling of the Armenian genocide had been sort of like pushed aside. And it was only in the last couple of decades that 18 minutes of that silent film have been recovered. So what the what this film does is tries to animate the parts of the movie, that silent film movie that we don't have. So it's trying to do that and trying to tell or a story and trying to give us the interviews and trying. It's like I think it's trying to do a little bit of everything. Um but in terms of subject matter, it is very enthralling. It's very engaging. Um, but I, I think it's it's trying to do a little bit too much. We're talking about Aurora Sunrise, Armenian animated documentary. You can see it at Lemley's Glendale Theater. It's unrated. The Eternal Memory is a documentary about a Chilean couple, uh, the husband who's dealing with Alzheimer's, uh, he, uh, a longtime journalist in Chile, uh, his wife, uh, an actor who cares for him in his later years. The film is directed by Maite Alberdi. Manuel, what did you think of The Eternal Memory? I I love this film. I mean, I've been a big fan of 
I've read these films for a long time. She directed The Mole Agent. This, I think, is the one film that people may be most familiar with. Uh, but she's a great documentarian. And here she's following um, Augusto Gongora and his wife, Paulina Urrutia. And he has been uh, sort of a very well-renowned uh, Chilean journalist who cut his teeth reporting on the country's military coup uh, and the years of disinformation that followed. Um, and he's now dealing with Alzheimer's and he's being tended to by his wife, Paulina, uh, who's an actress and a former uh, minister of culture. And what um, Alberti has done is that she's uh, inserted herself into their everyday routine and she's sort of following their lives. Uh, they're really the mundane every day of how he needs to wake up and be reminded who his wife is, where he is, what he's doing. And it's slowly obviously deteriorating and then COVID happens and then the two of them have to film each other. And then it, it's sort of slowly um, on one level, it's giving us this very personal story, but given how much um, Gongora had been writing about and talking about throughout his work about cultural memory and about how he actually tried to excavate Chilean memories that had been of people who had been disappeared or how the country needed to remember the atrocities that had happened so that it could move forward, Alberti creates a sort of like larger portrait about what it means to um, lose yourself and lose your memories. And how does that function at a personal level? How does that function at a political level? And in that sense, the the film is just astonishing. It's also a real love story. Mm -hmm. And I just love how, uh, despite the tremendous challenge and and, and the tragedy here is, is the love they have for each other. The Eternal Memory uh, from director Maite Alberde is unrated. You can see it at Lemley's Royal Theater in West Los Angeles and Lemley's Town Center's Theater in Encino. Uh, we'll get started, at least, on Deadshot, a British action thriller. Peter? I thought this was a pretty good film. It's um, a, uh, a sort of semi-retired IRA uh, paramilitary guy, um, played by Colin Morgan, uh, is transporting his, his very pregnant wife to a hospital when they're ambushed, and uh, the wife is, is, is shot by a, um, uh, a British soldier, played by Amil Amin, um, he escapes uh, barely, uh, and then goes to London. This is set in the in the seventies um, to uh, to revenge not only himself but uh, but to terrorize um, uh, the 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 British soldiers. Uh, and so the two men are sort of hunting for each other, knowing that one of them is most likely going to die. Uh, it's it's well paced. It's very well acted. The, the story itself, I think, has more depth than just a straight action film because it has a personal edge to it and there's a revenge aspect to it that I think has a tragic larger dimension uh, given you know, the history of the Troubles in, in that era. Uh, the score, I felt, was way too insistent and you know, boom-boomy and, and it, it, it deserved a much better score. Uh, but I think overall it, it, uh, it was surprised me that it, it had more depth than I thought it would have, uh, you know, given the, the genre. It's not altogether uh, unpredictable, but that's part of the way the story goes. <laughs> All right, we'll come back and hear what Manuel thinks of Deadshot, the British action thriller. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3.
Support for LAist comes from the Norton Simon Museum, presenting the film series Testigo Witness, Goya in the Movies, held on select Fridays in May. Each film touches upon Spanish artist Francisco de Goya's visions of the world, including Goya or The Hard Way to Enlightenment by Conrad Wolf and The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie by Luis Buñuel. Screenings are at 4.30 p.m. on consecutive Fridays, now through May 31st. More information at nortonsimon.org. Support for LAist comes from Pasadena Playhouse, presenting Jelly's Last Jam. When Jelly Roll Morton's soul is forced to face the music, the self-proclaimed inventor of jazz is left at the ultimate crossroads. This lively musical follows the journey from the back alleys of New Orleans to the sparkling stages of New York, featuring a sizzling bandstand, electrifying tap dancing, and soulful tunes. On stage for four weeks only, Jelly's Last Jam. Performances begin May 29th. Tickets available now at PasadenaPlayhouse.org. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle, joined by critics Charles Solomon, Manuel Betancourt, and Peter Rayner. Just a reminder, the documentary that Manuel was just telling us about, The Eternal Memory, uh, from director Maite Alberde. Uh, Maite will be joining me later this hour to talk in depth about the film, which tells the story of Augusto and Paulina. That's coming up later this hour right here on Film Week. We are in the midst of a review of Deadshot, a British action thriller. The film is written and directed by brothers Charles and Thomas Gard. Uh, And Manuel, what did you think of Deadshot? Yeah, I think I agree with Peter. This is the kind of film that I think you would describe as a tight taut thriller. I think it's sort of it's really well paced. It really keeps you uh, like you know this nothing's going to go well. <laughs> you know there's not going to be sort of this this happy ending because these two men who are so haunted by this episode that sort of bond cruelly bonded them together. Uh, there's no resolving it. And there's no resolving it at a personal level, and there's no resolving it at a political level, which is to say this was 1975 when, um, you know, much of the film takes place in London during one of those bloodiest years that the city had seen since uh, World War II. Um, I I do agree that the score is a little overbearing, um, and I also found the final moments a little too hollow, maybe a little too maudlin. It almost is, is, is very... N- not, uh, neatly tied together, uh, but for the most part, I really enjoyed it. I, I also found um, Felicity Jones and Mark Strong, who play supporting characters, um, really rounding out um, a really well um, well chosen cast. And it's this is also handsomely shot. It's like actually quite um, has a very distinctive '70s sort of revenge sort of feel. Amel Amin leading the cast on Deadshot. The film is unrated. You can see it at Lemley's Monica Film Center, Santa Monica, also available on demand for home viewing. The Monkey King uh, is an action-adventure animated film. Uh, It's directed by Anthony Stocky. Charles, what did you think of The Monkey King? Well, The Monkey King goes back to the the Ming Dynasty novel, uh, The Journey to the West, and in the last couple decades, there's been a lot of attempts to try and bring the character back through animation. I mean, even Dragon Ball at the beginning is very loosely based on uh, Son Goku, the Monkey King, and the Journey to the West. Uh, this is a new interpretation that's kind of the Monkey King is Valley Dude. Uh, he's not very bright. Um, the Monkey King has a magic metamorphic weapon 
which he gets from the Dragon King's Palace Beneath the Sea. It's actually the iron that was used to shape the bed of the Milky Way. In this case, he just calls it stick, and it's his stick stick. Get it? And it lights up, uh-huh. and it makes little noises so he can talk to it. And he's given the sine qua non of American animated features these days, a spunky girl sidekick who has nothing to do with his adventures. This is based very loosely on the first half of the novel when the Monkey King causes such chaos, he troubles even the Jade Emperor of Heaven, and finally Buddha has to step in and imprisons him for 500 years to meditate. And then the part of the, the novel where he actually goes on that journey... Uh, defending Tripitaka and Monkey and Sandy is the second half. And wouldn't you know it, at the very end of this, he's awakened from his meditation and saying, hey, we're going, you want to come along? So the sequel is already in the works. <laughs> uh, but it's just, again, a sort of of, of what lower-end American animation looks like these days. He's not particularly well-designed. It's not particularly well-animated with all the action sequences speeding up and slowing down like the cliched live-action superhero footage. Um, There's nothing new here. The Monkey King is the film. It's streaming on Netflix. Manuel? I... Yes, this is this was this is an exasperating watch, mostly because the 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 message at the end is you need to slow down, you need to calm your mind, and that's all I wanted the movie to do. I wanted the movie to slow down, to calm down, to quiet down, to not be as frantic as frenetic, which is exactly what American, mostly mainstream American uh, animation looks like today. And you know, Guillermo del Toro bemoaned this a few months ago, talking about emoji style uh, animation and how everything sassy and quippy, and that is all over. Here. The one saving grace and the one thing that I thoroughly enjoyed was Boeing Yang as the Dragon King that I who I think is doing, uh, you know, Pat Carroll, Eartha Kitt, Jeremy Irons <laughs> level villainous performance. I almost just wanted to follow him, maybe just for a short film, <laughs> maybe not for the entire thing. Yeah, it's an exhausting. It's an exhausting watch. Um so I, that is all I want to say. About it. <laughs> it's in English and Chinese. The Monkey King is rated PG and it's streaming on Netflix. The uh, thriller Madeline Collins is written and directed by Antoine Barraud. Uh, Manuel, what did you think? This is, let me try and explain it. So uh, we are following this woman who, when she's in France, she's Judith. And she is married to a music conductor and has two teenage sons. When she travels to Switzerland, she goes by uh, Margot Soriano, and she has a young three-year-old daughter and a boyfriend. And she shuttles back and forth, and she's constantly on the phone telling the other people in her life, like, oh, I'm in Spain. Oh, I have to be late for this thing. I won't be able to get to my daughter's... and. Through the first sort of like 30, 45 minutes, you're wondering something's going to happen. Like this this sort of doubled life that she's leading will shatter at some point because it's almost too perfectly put together. And of course, then it slowly falls apart. People start bleeding into her life. And then uh, I don't want to give too much away because it, it then we then realize that this sort of doubled life has something to do with uh, someone in her past um, that it might have something to do with her family, might have something to do with infidelity. Uh, 
But the unfolding of it and the unfolding of how she's slowly even losing sight of who she is and who she wants to be and the kind of life that she wants to lead um, is very intriguing. It's sort of it's this very twisty kind of melodrama that's a little bit sentimental. I found it very interesting. I don't know if it all cohered together or maybe maybe to me it was a little bit about pacing that it was both giving me all the information too soon, but also slowing down really weirdly. Um, but the leading actress, uh, Virginie Ehra, she is uh, really entrancing in trying to capture this woman's um, sort of splintered um, life and trying to sort of keep it all together. And then, of course, eventually, you know, being at the edge of a nervous breakdown. We're talking about Madeline Collins, a film written and directed by Antoine Barraud. Uh Peter? Yeah, it's um, without giving. I, I can't give too much away, but it the the double life scenario doesn't quite make sense or parse in terms of how it actually plays out. But you can sort of accept it uh, on on its face value. Um, I think they were trying for a kind of uh, Claude Chabrol Hitchcock scenario. Uh, some of it is effective. Uh, there's a kind of steady state. Uh, sense of anxiety, which is typical of this type of film uh, and and the story that it's telling. Uh, but I think th- the main attraction for me was was the Virginie Efiro, who's a wonderful actress. She was seen uh, fairly recently in a, in a wonderful film, Other People's Children, which actually has vague resemblance to this one. Um, and uh, the the notion of a of a of a heroine or or a lead actress who is uh, in a sense, addicted to um, deception, I think, is a, is a powerful psychological element of this film and explains psychologically why she does all of this. Uh, so I think it's worth seeing, but, um, you know, with an asterisk. Okay. <laughs> Madeline Collins in French with English subtitles, Lemley's Royal Theater in West L.A., and Lemley's Town Center in Encino. Landscape with Invisible Hand, a sci-fi comedic drama written and directed by Corey Finley based on a young adult novel by M.T. Anderson. Peter, what would you think of Landscape with Invisible Hand? Uh, It's a very strange movie. Um, The plot is just all over the place. Uh, The 17-year-old kid, Adam, played by Asante Black, uh, is a high school student. He's an aspiring artist. He's very gifted. He makes friends with... Uh, uh, Chloe, who's a fellow student, played by Kylie Rogers. Uh, but they're living in a world in 2036, which has been taken over by a, uh, an alien race called the VUV, V-U-V-V. Um, and they're not hostile exactly. They've just taken over. And, and all of the wealthy people on Earth have sort of been elevated up into the sky in a special area where they can uh, do their business thing. But all of the lower-class people on the ground are kind of left with not much and not even in the way of jobs. So the two teenagers decide that they're going to uh, broadcast their uh, budding romance to the Vuv because the Vuv don't know what uh, human romance is like. They, they, uh, uh, you know, they only learn about it from movies, which is an interesting concept. Mm. Um, so after a while, uh, the gig is up, and the Vuv realized that uh, this is uh, not entirely what it's supposed to be, and there are all sorts of complications involved. Um, uh, Tiffany Haddish plays um, uh, the, the boy's mother, and, uh, and, and, and the girl's brother and father uh, end up as um, uh, homeless people who live in their basement, and it, it's all very, uh, I, I wouldn't say it's a comedy exactly because the Vuv, which you see, they're sort of about the, the, the size of a, uh, 
uh, a footstool. Um, and when they want to talk, they, they rub their paddle. They have like these tentacle hands that paddle, rub it together, and that's how they speak. And then we see the translation mm-hmm. on the screen. You know, I mean, it's all rather cleverly worked out. And um, there's enough here, I think, to, to draw on that, that you know, from a, certainly from a young adult uh, level, uh, there's something to see here. But um, I still think it, it, it's, it tries to do too much in too many different ways. And ultimately, um, you know, I, I, I give them points, though, for creating uh, aliens that don't look like the usual aliens. The, the Vuv are, are uh, first It sounds rate. pretty unique. Yeah. <laughs> Landscape with Invisible Hand is rated R. It's in select theaters. It's the 35th anniversary of Grave of the Fireflies, the Japanese animated film written and directed by Isao Takahata, uh, based on a 1967 short story by Akiyuki Nosaka. Charles, please tell us about the significance of Grave of the Fireflies. Well, the release of Grave of the Fireflies and My Neighbor Totoro on what must be one of the weirdest double bills in cinema history really put uh, Studio Ghibli on the map. Both Takahata and Miyazaki were art, already had reputations within the animation industry, but these were the two films that, again, really brought them to the fore. And on one hand... Totoro is perhaps the most charming family film Wonderful ever film. made. And Grave of the Fireflies has been described as the greatest animated feature you never want to see again. <laughs> I saw it for the first time at Anasi years ago and still remember that it was just, oh, this is a Japanese feature. I don't know. I've got it. So a little bit of time. And I came out looking like I had walked through a lawn sprinkler. I was so tear-streaked. Uh, it opens with the very chilling words... September 21, 1945, that was the night I died. You see a ragged, skeletal teenage boy collapse in a semi-ruined railway station, and then the backstory is the struggles he and his uh, little sister, Setsuko, underwent to try and survive after the firebombing of Kobe. Uh, it is heartbreaking and poignant and powerful, um, I had I worked on a study guide with some people from MIT for it several years ago, and the best description I can offer of it is that it's a flower on the grave. And I tear up thinking about this film. That's okay, Charles. It tells you the uh, power of the film. Yeah. On all the children who have died needlessly in war, it is eloquent and moving and beautiful, and I don't know if I could sit through it again without just again, turning into this uh, wet rag of of an audience. (laughs) Grave of the Fireflies, the 35th anniversary. uh, And as Charles was saying, My Neighbor Totoro released at the same time to Japanese theaters as a double bill back in 1988. Grave of the Fireflies is at the American Cinematheque's Los Feliz Theater. Again, the film written and directed by Isao Takahata. Um, Manuel, uh, we have just about uh, 45 seconds to a minute left. Can you quickly tell us about the comedic drama The Adults, written and directed by Dustin Guy DeFay? Yeah, so this follows uh, Eric, played by Michael Sarah, who's returning home for the first time in years to sort of visit his sisters again, uh, who he hasn't seen uh, since their mother um, passed away. And there's clearly some tension between them uh, that's gone unresolved. And he wants to make it really, really short, but gets addicted to this poker game that's running um, and decides that he needs to continue playing poker with people in town because he really wants to win. And... All throughout, he's trying to sort of work his 
through his feelings with his sisters, but they have this really weird shared language of performance and our voices, and sometimes they talk to each other like this in characters they've clearly developed over the years. And it's it has a really weird tone because that's how they end up sort of bonding again. Uh, it feels both familiar and really quirky and odd. And Sarah and um, the cast is is really committed to the bit. The adults is rated R. It's in select theaters. Coming up, I talk with the director of the documentary The Eternal Memory. That's coming up here on Film Week on LA is eighty nine point three. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps.